Alrighty, everybody, welcome back. It is myself, Tavis Killian, joined actually in the flesh this time by Kevin Olson. Good to be back. And we are bringing you another episode of the Basin Breakdown, this time for the month of May. Yes, we know it's June, but we're taking a quick look back to see the biggest things that happened throughout the month, basin by basin. And of course, you know, we got to start it out in our home territory, home state of Colorado in the DJ Niobrara and Piance Basins. First things first, Well County and the State Commission decide to streamline permits, which you may not have expected. After the introduction of Senate Bill 181, which directly defied the voters' response to Proposition 112, the rules for oil and gas regulation were drastically changed. Weld County attempted to circumvent the new COGCC by establishing Weld County as an area of state interest in order to identify, designate, and regulate areas and activities of state interest through a local permitting process. The resulting department was the Oil and Gas Energy Department, OGED. Weld County was able to accomplish this using 1041 powers established by a bill from 1974, combined with their strengthened authority from Senate Bill 181, which does state, quote, each local government within its respective jurisdiction has the authority to plan for and regulate the use of land by regulating the surface impacts of oil and gas operations, end quote. Surprisingly, this rebellious act established the framework to organize a memorandum of understanding between Weld County and the COGCC. The MOU establishes concurrent processes for applications in the county and state, requires a pre-application meeting process to assure applicants everything is in place for likely approval, and, most importantly, speeds up the timeline in which applications are approved so that this is in line with Weld County's time frame. And I, <laughs> I like this story because... They took what Senate Bill 181 gave them, and it ended up backfiring for the regulatory bodies. Well, yeah, but you also have to take into account, I mean, let's talk Weld County. Weld County has recognized over the years that oil and gas is key to their really survival, their well-being. They're getting taxes from this, revenue from this, and Weld County has been a huge supporter of oil and gas over the years. So in a county, say, um, like Boulder County, that's very anti-oil and gas. Granted, not a whole lot of development going on over there, but they're going to take 181 kind of as they already have and tried to push oil out the door, whereas Weld County has seen 181 as a real opportunity to expand and expedite the oil and gas processes. So kind of like you said, I think it's fantastic. Also in Weld County, we've got Whiting trying to sell their assets. After a year of entering and then emerging from Chapter 11 bankruptcy, it seems Whiting Petroleum is doing its best to generate some free cash. They are now selling retail upstream and midstream assets in Weld County. This includes shallow decline horizontal producing assets in the Niobrara and wholly owned midstream assets. In December, these assets generated 8,321 barrels of oil equivalent, which was 70% liquid per day. The total area of the assets being offered covers about 70,000 acres. Bids were due June 2nd, so it is possible someone has snatched up these assets by now, so we will keep you updated later next month. When I first saw this story, it seemed pretty insignificant, but then getting into it, 70,000 acres and, what, 8,400 barrels of oil equivalent per day? I mean, that's significant. Good for Whiting for emerging from bankruptcy, but I'm sad that they have to sell so much of their generating portfolio just to get their foot back in the door. Next up, and final story for Colorado, in 2018, a coalition of clean air advocates sued the EPA on claims that their air quality was poor in the front range thanks to the emission of volatile organic compounds, or as you know, VOCs. The U.S. Court of Appeals sided with the activist group last year, saying that the organization failed to adequately factor in pollution from industrial activities. Since then, the EPA has been doing its best to bounce back from the decision. 
New regulations are stating that air across eight counties, including Denver and Weld, needs to be improved. They are allowing 30 days for public comment and 120 days for state governments to provide information to challenge the proposal for air quality improvement. Quote, After state officials let the fracked gas and oil industry pollute our beautiful Colorado skies with asthma-causing smog for more than a decade, it's refreshing to see the Biden administration EPA standing up to them, end quote, said Robert Ukele, an attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity. This step helps us get closer to the renewable energy economy of the future that will provide clean air not only for people, but also wildlife and plants. So, again, we're still in that 30-day time period, 120-day time period, but I would not be surprised if something significant, new regulations came out of this, even on top of the new methane regulations we saw in the past couple of months. But that's enough of our Colorado information, so we're going to take it up to our neighbors to the north up in the Powder River Basin. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon has been very vocal about his opposition to the Biden administration's drilling moratorium and has finally filed for a preliminary injunction for a lawsuit. The filing includes a number of requests from Gordon. The first asks for the Federal District Court of Wyoming for an injunction that orders the secretary to hold quarterly oil and gas lease sales in Wyoming as they have already missed the sale for Q1. It also demands the secretary to hold the March and June 2021 Wyoming lease sales as soon as reasonably possible. The rest of the lawsuit claims the executive order that suspended drilling violates the National Environmental Policy Act, the Administrative Procedure Act, the Mineral Leasing Act, and the Federal Land Policy Management Act. So far, the Biden administration has not released any word on progress in reviewing leasing policy that initially prompted the moratorium. I gotta say, I feel for both parties here. I understand what the Biden administration's trying to do. They're trying to look at some policies that may be incredibly outdated, but again, they are taking their sweet time doing it, and states, especially states like Wyoming, so heavily dependent on not only oil and gas, but also coal, and the likes are definitely being hurt by how long they have to wait, pushing off lease sales and not being able to claim the revenue for these natural resources. And I think it's important to note that I don't think Gordon is trying to you know, necessarily fight the administration, but he's really just trying them to speed up the process. I mean, he was kind of took a backseat when they said, you know, let's do this 60 day moratorium. Obviously he was upset, but he said, all right, you know, let's kind of do process. Let's go through this process and figure out, you know, the best path forward. But now he's saying, all right, guys, you already canceled our Q1 lease sales. This is a huge amount of revenue for my state that I need. Let's speed this process up. I agree with you there. It comes from a place of frustration and not malice. But talking about money and budgets and deficits, it's no secret that Wyoming's state budget took a hit in 2020 and Biden's drilling moratorium is not helping. But since January of this year, 188 oil and gas wells have been improved and 80% have been on federal land. Ouch. Still, between 2014 and 2019, there were just shy of 10,000 approved but unused permits to drill on federal land. Dave Jenkins, the president of the Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship, said that the moratorium gives Congress time to review and revamp pricing that is, in his opinion, outdated. Quote, They're buying it on the cheap when we should be getting higher prices. Today's economy is different, and we got a lot more value out of recreation and tourism, which brings people to the states to spend money and drive economic activity. While Wyoming has made lots of money from oil and gas activity, Jenkins is right in claiming that there are more industries to diversify into. Such a heavy reliance on fossil fuel production really hurt the state's economy seems that the Biden administration is ready to do away with as much fossil fuels as possible, and Wyoming will certainly feel the impact, so I guess the silver lining here is they were able to explore other areas, and who knows, maybe permits and bids will go for higher prices after the administration is done reviewing these old policies. 
But that is all the news we've got for Wyoming and Powder River Basin area. Kevin, where are we headed next? We're headed down to the Permian Basin, and our friends in New Mexico may be funding a cleanup crew. A study released in late May highlighted the fact that some operators have set aside only a fraction of the money required to eventually clean up wells, pipelines, and other associated infrastructure. Concern is starting to grow over the vast number of wells in the state and who will be taking care of them when the funds run dry. As it stands, New Mexico regulators require operators to pay no more than $25,000 per well bond depending on how many assets the company operates, but as it turns out, those requirements are way too low. The release study estimates it would cost $8.38 billion to clean up all infrastructure on New Mexico's state and private lands. The bonds put up by operators only cover about $200 million of that. The shortfall in funding for cleaning up pipe alone comes out to about $211,000 per mile. If the state does decide to fully shift away from fossil fuels and reclaim the infrastructure, it's going to take a lot of funding away from schools and state programs that benefited from oil and gas in the past. Now, this is a pretty tumultuous subject for a lot of people. I mean, I'll just say, do I think the bond requirements should be higher? Yes, but we also have to remember, this is a report that assumes if we had to do it all today, this year, close everything, yeah, that would be wildly expensive. So maybe this highlights the need to not only up bond requirements, but start looking at just how much money you might need to close up that well at the end of its life cycle. Absolutely, because the way our country is going, the way that this energy transition is heading... Fossil fuels are definitely on the way out. I'm not saying that it needs to happen tomorrow, but, you know, it is going to be a decline in the future. But kind of like Tavis said, it's important to note that this says this has to happen tomorrow. But the problem with closing all infrastructure and cleaning up all these wells tomorrow is, all right, where is all that tax revenue for the schools going to come from? Where is all that tax revenue for state programs going to come? So I agree with Tavis. It's important to note that the bond requirement should be upped to make sure that as these you know, things start to phase out into the future. We do need a larger fund, but I do think that it is a kind of a down-the-road issue. Next up, we've got a whole slew of mergers and acquisitions in the Permian, but we'll try to speed it up because Kevin's actually working on a periodical podcast addressing this very topic. So these are some smaller ones that he's not going to be covering, and I'll just rattle through them real quick and close out the news for the Permian. First up, Empire Petroleum closes on XTO Permian Assets, the transaction adds about 48,000 acres of Permian leasehold, adding 1,100 net barrels of oil equivalent per day at about 67% oil. Empire paid $17.8 million for the XTO acquisition. Next, Axis Energy acquires assets from Forbes Energy. After this acquisition, Axis will become a top four well servicing company in the U.S. through their total rig count alone. Lastly, Ranger Energy Services acquired Patriot Completion Solutions. Rather than just getting their assets, they totally acquired the company, and the synergies are immediately apparent, as 22 wireline units and a number of the Patriot team members will be assimilated into the Ranger team. This is great for Ranger, because this will up the amount of unconventional well completion and production operation services they will be able to offer to Texas. So this is likely not the last time you will hear about their impact, but... That is what we've got for the Permian, and you'll see that throughout this episode. A big theme is lots of mergers and lots of acquisition. But while we're in the Texas area, let's pop on over to the Eagleford, where we've got another acquisition. Again, just to give you a high-level update, Evolution Petroleum is acquiring about 21,000 net acres of Barnett Shale assets from Tokyo Gas for $19.6 million in cash. The estimated production sits at 17 million cubic feet per day, along with 1,300 barrels per day of liquids. 
And wouldn't you know it, that's the end of the news in the Eagleford. I know it's been a tough year, but we're coming up on those $70 prices. So I think moving forward, we're going to see quite a bit more action there. And heading on over to the scoop stack, and wouldn't you know it, another merger. Kane Anderson Energy is a non-diversified closed-end management investment company who recently revealed a consolidation of Casillas Petroleum Resource Partners, Native Exploration Holdings, and Akeda Exploration Partners into 89 Energy 3. The consolidation strengthens the financial and operating position of the resulting company, allowing it to realize day one structural cost reductions, leverage scale for additional savings, and the ability to pursue an effective development of its high-quality drilling inventory. 89 Energy will have 80,000 net acres across Oklahoma, with a total of 21,000 barrel-a-day equivalent of oil production. Not only will they be operating on consolidated land, but they will also manage the assets of Triumph Energy Partners, which consists of an additional 6,500 net barrel of oil equivalent per day of production. Kane Anderson manages over $34 billion in assets as of the end of March, so the company should be able to guide 89 Energy to profit. Next up, a little bit of news about Continental. Continental's drilling plan is eager to make use of Oklahoma's scoop as the commodity optionality has been beneficial in the past. Quote, in Oklahoma, our oil and gas assets continue to afford us commodity optionality, which is a significant attribute as it provides great flexibility in various commodity environments, CEO Bill Barry told analysts. Quote, just as the gas commodity fundamentals last year suggested we should switch to gas-weighted drilling, which we did, we see the fundamentals this year support more oil weighting for our Oklahoma assets. Continental hopes to deliver 67 gross operated wells in Oklahoma this year, which is possible as they've already brought 14 wells online in Q1 alone, of which the majority were gas. They plan to shift towards more fluid production by the end of the year to generate $1.7 billion free cash flow, assuming $60 per barrel oil and $2.75 gas. Well, you can't really blame them because they were assuming $60 per barrel oil and just this week we peaked over 70, so kind of hovering in that range, you know, 60, 70. So those margins are going to be significantly boosted if we do see those prices elevated. And significantly boosted if we do actually see them drilling oil wells because we see so far the majority are gas. Yes, fresh plans, but let's see what happens throughout the rest of the year. But that's all we've got for Oklahoma and moving it way, way, way over to the West Coast. We've got California where, keeping on the theme that Wyoming's going with, well, remediation. In mid-May, California Governor Gavin Newsom earmarked $200 million for remediating idle wells across the state. Part of the administration's May budget revisions for the money aims to permanently plug wells that are at risk of leaking, including a number of orphan wells that have been long neglected. Many of these wells are located near low-income residential areas, leading environmental justice advocates to rejoice. Veronica Wilson, California organizer at Labor Network for Sustainability, said, quote, all displaced fossil fuel workers and communities disproportionately impacted by pollution must be the first people who get access to these good jobs, end quote. From an industry perspective, Kevin Slagle of the Western States Petroleum Association trade group said, the industry sees the $200 million as a positive addition to the budget and supports well remediation work. Even so, he doesn't think that this is the first step in a just transition, as some environmentalists would call it. So in the case of Wyoming, we saw it was very expensive here. $200 million. Is this just scratching the surface or should that be pretty good? Because you were out there doing some work. Absolutely. And so unfortunately, you know, this is a step in the right direction. Absolutely. But it's just scratching the surface. There's been some reports saying that it could cost the state upwards of 5 to $10 billion to remediate just these orphaned wells alone. 
And that doesn't even include the operators that are still in business that still operate these wells. So if California does continue this transition of phasing out fossil fuels, trying to get rid of the industry entirely, it's going to cost a lot more than that. And plain and simple, these operators don't have the bonds to cover that cost. And speaking of costs, gas prices are climbing in California. While the national average for gas prices sits at just under $3, California's average topped out at $4.20 over Memorial Day weekend. While there are many reasons for this price hike, one factor driving a low supply is California's requirement for gas stations to switch to a summer blend to cut down on seasonal smog. The transition combined with increased economic activity and travel is putting pressure on that price. Another shortage to mention is that of tanker truck drivers. It is estimated that 20 to 25% of tanker trucks are parked because no one is available to drive them. Worst case scenario is a resulting shortage of gas that again triggers panic buying, which will only push the price higher and higher. Additionally, a ballot measure in 2018 was voted down that approved more future gas tax increases without requiring voter approval. In a state with an already threatened electricity sector, a gas price hike could be devastating to the local economy. And let me tell you, those prices are absolutely devastating to your wallet, Tavis. When I was leaving California, I was paying $4.50 a gallon. Just before we recorded this, I was bitching about paying, I think, three ten at the pump, and Kevin had to stop me and go, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I've been pretty happy with the gas prices around here, and let me tell you, it's just going to get worse. But it's been about, I don't know, two whole minutes since we've mentioned any mergers or acquisitions, so I say we take it over to the Marcellus and start talking about a few of those. The first one we've got is EQT buying some Marcellus assets from Alta Resources. EQT is purchasing 300,000 net acres in the core northeastern Marcellus, which is producing 1 billion cubic feet per day of dry gas. This also includes integrated pipeline assets. EQT financed its purchase with $1 billion of cash on hand, along with 105 million shares of common stock worth nearly $2 billion, bringing that total to about $2.9 billion. This deal is another big win for Alta's veteran CEO, Joseph Greenberg. After founding the Houston-based company in 99, he invested into new shale discoveries. In 2008, he sold all of his Arkansas shale acreage to PetroHawk and XTO for $550 million. In the Marcellus, Alta sold early acreage to WPX in 2010 for half a billion. This deal will expand EQT beyond its core Southwest Marcellus footprint. Still, EQT has some $5 billion in debt, but Alta's incredibly low lifting and transportation costs should generate some additional free cash flow for EQT. Shout out to Mr. Joseph Greenberg for somehow completely understanding where the future's going to go and making big money off of it. I wonder if he's got a magic eight ball that he could share with the rest of us. If not that, an oracle. And next up, believe it or not, another merger. While more and more companies continue to consolidate into pure play portfolios, Simrex and Cabot have come out of left field with an unlikely merger. The deal results in a company with an enterprise value of $17 billion and a portfolio of assets split between Simrex's core 56,000-acre position in the Permian and Cabot's core 173,000 acres in the Marcellus. Simrex shareholders take a slightly larger 50.5% of the company's stake, but both companies will bring four members to the new board. Both companies were ripe for acquisition as EQT was eyeing both Cabot and their recently acquired Alta resources. Simrix has been seen as a favorite to many major Permian players like Pioneer, but it seems that rather than being acquired, both companies agreed that it was in their best interest to combine despite their zero overlap. 
Perhaps it was the result of further consolidation of the Marcellus to the growing portfolio of EQT. Tom Jordan, the current CEO of Simrex, will also remain as the CEO of both companies. So I wonder at this point, is this kind of like what we saw on a larger scale in Oklahoma with, hey, you know, we have asset commodity optionality. So now they've got Simrex, Cabot, whatever they're going to call it, their gas department up in the Marcellus and then their oil down in the Permian? Absolutely. And I think that's what they're focused on, you know, maybe diversifying. You know, we've seen kind of like you said, so many companies trying to consolidate, say, all right, this is what we're good at. This is what we're going to focus on. But these guys are taking it quite literally the opposite direction and saying, let's try something new. Let's diversify ourselves. You know, let's really expand our resource play. And to close it all out, we will take it over to the Bakken, where the DAPL lives to transport another day. In mid-May, a key ruling was announced where federal judge James Boasberg allowed the Dakota Access Pipeline to continue transporting crude, even though the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers continues to review its environmental impact. The judge wrote, Ever since this court's vacator order in July of 2020, and across two presidential administrations, the Corps has conspicuously declined to adopt a conclusive position regarding the pipeline's continued operation, despite repeated prodding from this court and the Court of Appeals to do so. In the past decade, the DAPL has been ruled upon both administratively and by other courts across three presidential administrations. The judge admits the American Indian tribal plaintiffs in this case have failed to produce actual evidence of harm necessary to stop the pipeline's operations. The Corps anticipates finishing the latest environmental study by early 2022, but for now, 400,000 barrels of oil will be transported from the Bakken daily. You know, that, that's a pretty heavy hitter there when the judge admits the American Indian tribal plaintiffs have failed to produce actual evidence of harm necessary. Well, I think that it's finally nice that we get some actual light shed on this information where, you know, all these people are so opposed to this and, you know, they claim that the Army Corps of Engineers, you know, they need to redo the environmental impact. And then the judge says, look, you've got no actual evidence that these guys are providing harm. So I don't know. It kind of just sounds like they live to die another day. North Dakota Minerals Resource Director Lynn Helms has revealed approval for a staggering amount of permits, more than 12,000 new permits to add to the 16,000 already active wells. The state plans to double down on the past decade's production using refrac and EOR techniques. By Helms' analysis, more than half of potential sites have yet to be drilled, which is great news for drillers, frackers, sand peddlers, and water resource companies all around. The current oil recovery rate is about 8%, but many claim it could double with more modern techniques. Even Canadian-based Interplus has expressed its interest in the shale play as they look to purchase half a billion dollars in assets this coming year. Denbury Incorporated CEO Chris Kendall, whose company is an EOR specialist, said, quote, There is a great opportunity here with the geology we have in North Dakota, end quote. Man, I'm excited. I know all of those permits are not going to get filled out, but... Coming through 2020, it's time to replenish some of those reserves and get some new wells in the ground. Well, not only that, some of these are new locations too. So it's not just expanding on assets that people already have, but it's this real exploratory uh, movement that's happening in North Dakota. And I just think it's it's fun. You know, it's, it's steps in the right direction in our opinion. But, you know, I just love the fact that someone's saying, let's try something new here. It's just, it's a great way to end the episode. And end the episode we shall. Thank you for joining us, everybody. This, again, was Basin Breakdown for the month of May. 
and you will want to hit that subscribe button through whatever platform you're listening through. Please leave us a review. Send us an email of what you would like to hear because, hey, if you do that, you might get entered into a little drawing for some Rare Petro swag. So contact both Kevin and myself by emailing podcast at rarepetro.com and we will be sure to mention your feedback and, like we said, perhaps you'll be able to listen to the next episode of Basin Breakdown sporting some Rare Petro swag. But... I don't know if the legal team's going to get on my ass. I don't think I said prize or anything like that that would get us in trouble. So I'm going to cut it here. Thank you for joining us. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 